think when the students finally get that light bulb, when they finally say, Miss Robinson, I understand what you're talking about. It's more than just where I am right now in life and it's about where I'm trying to go. I have young ladies who are starting to um, formulate questions um, about their life and, and how they want to be seen as a young woman. Um, that's really important to me. Um, and also for our young men that, you know, we have mentors in the school, you know, to let them know that there's more to just being in a gang, um, to being on the streets, that you can be a productive citizen here in your neighborhood first and foremost, and then you can reach the world, you know, just by um, staying in school, getting a good education, and being able to give back to your community. And so I think it's so important to have um, community members like Warehouse 242, Target, Friendship Missionary Baptist Church that come in willingly to give their time and their service you know, to our students. It's so important that they see people who don't want anything from them, but for them to be successful. I think that's so important you know, for our staff and for our students. I, I think some churches actually desire to have a partnership with, with schools, but I think sometimes the churches get in the way of that because they bring their own agenda and say, well, we'll partner with you if you do these three things. And then that's not helpful. And then sometimes I think CMS and, and schools get in the way because they're overly restrictive and they say, well, we'll take you, but it has to be strictly on our terms, and then that's not helpful either. So to be in partnership with a school that des desires collaboration and is interested in hearing our voice and for us to, to say, hey, how can we come alongside and serve you? I think that's a unique partnership, and I think that's one of the distinctives of what Bishop Spa and Warehouse 242 are, are trying to do together. I think that's one of the reasons why this collaboration, this partnership is just so much fun, is because, and so rewarding and so hopeful, because we actually desire to collaborate with one another and listen to one another and, and be good neighbors with, with one another, and I think that's a, that's a great pathway towards success and for a hopeful future. faces of the kids every day and seeing the impact that I'm able to make. Um, like I, I say all the time to the people that I meet that this job is where purpose meets profession. Um, so that's that's what gives me hope and just see the impact, their faces and the hope that they're grasping the information that they were giving them, the wisdom for not only this year but as they continue their academic career. I'm Mark Dickman, I'm the pastor of service at Warehouse 242. Okay, Raquel Robinson. I'm the school counselor here at Bishop Spa Community Academy, as well as the partnership liaison. And in the afternoons, I am the cheerleading coach. I'm Reggie Dixon, um, Communities and Schools Site Coordinator here at Bishop Spa Community Academy. I think our greatest desire um, for our students to truly feel like they can do it, you know, that they can reach higher, grow bigger. Um, achieve those goals that they never believed that they could achieve. For our students who have always been maybe ones and twos on the EOG to grow um, leaps and bounds by threes and fours, you know, to find things in education that they're excited about. More parent resources and having them come in and be um, partners with us in this, in this journey, I think that is gonna be our biggest goal that I believe that we can achieve.
Uh, today, at the end of the service, we're going to be praying for some of the leadership at uh, Bishop Spock Community Academy. But today, uh, or now we have the opportunity to uh, hear from the principal. Principal McKeever is going to come up, and I'm going to grill her with questions. <laughs> That's not how I phrased it to her before, but yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Would you please welcome her to our stage? Thanks for being here. Thank you we for having me. <laughs> well, first of all, I'd just like you to give the community a bit of feel of, of who you are and uh, okay. sort of your background and what brought you to uh, being at the principal of Bishop's Fall now. Okay, I will. I'm sorry I'm so emotional. <laughs> this has just been kind of one of those weeks. Um, but anyway, my name is Jan McKeever. Uh, I moved to Charlotte 13 years ago from Cleveland, Ohio. And um, I began as an eighth grade teacher, taught language arts for six years, and um, went into uh, a reading specialist uh, program at Winthrop University, got my master's there, and became an academic facilitator. I was very fortunate to be with strong leaders um, all of my time here in uh, Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools, and um, was able to open a very good school, uh, Mint Hill Middle School, which was uh, eventually a school to watch, and uh, under even more good leadership, uh, had the ability to go strategically um, staffed, which is a, a new initiative that Dr. Gorman brought in a few years back to Bishop Spall Community Academy, which is a very large turnaround effort um, that we are in the middle of right now. Um, signed a contract to be an assistant principal for three years, and eight months later, I found myself in a different position, <laughs> um, but thankfully so, and, and wanting to carry on what we began and wanting to um, continue on the trajectory that Denise Watts, the first principal that, that brought me there with her, began with the, the great staff that we have there. Great. And we know that in the last year or so, there has been some remarkable changes at Bishop's Ball. Could you sort of encapsulate for us what the, if you could say, here, here's the vision, here's what we hope to see, and here's the trajectory on, what would that be? Exactly what you just heard Raquel say, or, or you've heard many of us say before. Uh, we want our students to have options. We don't want, um, and, and we realize that not every child is college bound. I think that as a society, we got on a little bit of a kick that everyone had to go to college. Um, and that was the only way you could make it in this world, and we all know that that's not necessarily true. Um, we want our students to have options, and we want the options to be more than uh, prison or death. And at this point, that's where a lot of our kids, um, that's where they are, and that's okay with them. Um, I had a sixth grader last year who told me, you know, well, I guess I'm, I'm I asked her, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? I guess I'll be in prison. That's where my mom is, and that's where my dad is. And that's when it dawned on me that in my life, being, being brought up by my parents, college was not an option. It was just an expectation. Um, a profession was an expectation, and we, we never spoke about it. It just was. And so that was when I realized that that was the unspoken in her household, hmm. was that it just was. That's just, that's what my family does. That's, that's where they go, and, and wow. that's probably where I'll be, too. So until we started talking about some other routes, 
um, you know, I don't know that anybody had really spent any time talking with her about that. So that, that's what we're about. We want the kids to know that there are options. Uh, it might not necessarily be college, but most certainly it's to get through high school um, successfully. And, and we just want them to have the skills that they need to be able to prosper once they're out of our hands because we only got them for three short years, and those years go very quickly in the middle school. I mean, you literally watch them grow up before your eyes. Um, and as a, a former teacher, I always had them in eighth grade. So I would continue on and watch them through high school grow. Um, but now that I started with the sixth graders last year, and the transformation in those kids just from August of you know, 09 to, to today is, is unbelievable. Okay. Uh, my, uh, after what you said, my question may seem m- more obvious, but what is, if you could encapsulate, I know there's a lot of challenges mm-hmm. in what you're doing. If you can encapsulate, what's the, what's the biggest challenge to see that happen, to see kids' mindset changed? Our biggest challenge is that we only have them for eight hours a day. Mm. Um, you know, we only have them from the time they get to us in the morning until the time that bus, that bus takes them away from us at the end of the day. So, um, you literally have to reprogram yourself to come in each day and be prepared to have taken five steps backwards in order to get ten steps forward. Um, and, and I would say that, you know, trying to get them to see and hear what we have to say and, and believe in what we have to say when we may be the only people saying those things to them. Um, and we may have been the only educator that they've seen so far that has said that, meant that, and stayed the course. Um, so that, that's a challenge, but I, I do believe that the kids that are with us now, our current 7th and 8th graders, they know what we're about. They know what we're here for. We talked to them a lot about it last year. The 6th graders have just kind of walked into it this year, um, and, you know, they hear us talking about it. And, and you can see um, the hesitation in some of the newer students, because we do have a transient population, but I think that when they're able to look at the other students and see that the other students are like, yep, this is exactly what this is about, this is what we are gonna learn, you know, when Miss Davis White says, we're gonna learn this math before we leave here, we are gonna do it, <laughs> so you better sit down because <laughs> we need to get out of here. Um, so, you know, they're very, they're very serious about that. I, I see them taking a more serious role in their education. Um, and, and being more serious about school. Um, just an, an, another story from this week, I, we had a child who in seventh grade, um, but she should be in 10th grade, and she knows how critical it is that she is in school every single day. She made a poor decision, and she had to go home for this, you know, the decision that she made, and I wanted to speak to her before, um, before she left because I did not process this this information that that had taken place her administrator did her grade level and um, I said LaShonda you know that you cannot afford to miss one minute of one day I know so if you just let me go back to class right now Miss McKeever I can go learn I said no honey you made the wrong decision and you should not have done what you did and at first she sat there and denied and denied And I said, I just want you to sit there and think about it for a little bit. And so she did. I knew we had time because her mom needed to come pick her up from the other side of town. And she finally said, 
I need to get it together. And I said, you do. You do need to get it together. And she said, I'm going to. I'm going to get it together. And I said, when you get back next week, we'll sit down and we'll figure out what you've missed and what we need to, to speed you up on and get you caught up. And she said, thank you for helping me. So she knows. Mm-hmm. She knows she has to be in school. It's just that sometimes those that's not at the forefront when she's making her decisions. So that's kind of what we're trying to teach them is think about it before you do it. Don't wait until afterwards and beg for forgiveness, you know. Yeah, you all um, need to listen to that, too. <laughs> it's a tough love kind of thing. Just, just a thought. <laughs> Uh, my mom called it tough love. She always told me that the spankings hurt her worse than me. And, I and never, you're like, yeah. never really understood that <laughs> until now when I have my own. But, um, but that's, that's pretty much. Okay. Well, here you are. You have a captive audience. Mm-hmm. What, if you could say one thing to our community, uh, <clears throat> what would you say? We, we need everybody that we can get. Um, you know, the, the phrase, it takes a village, is almost uh, overused at this point, I think, in our society, but it is so true. Um, and, and as Raquel said in the video, these kids need to see that there are people out there that believe in them, people that look like me, not necessarily people that look like them. Um, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time gaining some ground and getting some trust behind my white skin for these children. And, um, you know, obviously it's not something that I can, I obviously can't blame it on them. They just have not had the opportunity to be able to trust and to be able to believe and, um, and, and give themselves and give themselves fully to someone that believes in them. So, I just think that, I mean, the smallest thing, I'm a parent, um, I can't go to my children's school and, and volunteer hours, so I know, I know what that feels like, you know, a lot of us have full-time jobs that take a lot out of us, but prayers can definitely help, any of the smallest things can help. Um, last year, many of you came and proctored for us. I know this is more than one thing, but no, you um, <laughs> last year, <laughs> he should not have given me the microphone. Um, last year, many of you came and proctored for us. I, I know that our sixth grade teachers um, and staff asked for parents to write letters to their children to give them on the first day of end of grade test. Just, a, you know, we believe in you. Good luck. I know you can do this. Uh, I think that we probably wrote about 75 to 80 of those for the class of about 180 students. Mm -hmm. Um, So we did get parents to buy into that and to do that with us, and it was wonderful. But then, you know, we took on writing for the kids whose parents did not respond um, to the call. So that would be something as simple as, you know, we know how hard you've worked this year. these kids are going through a lot and these are these are the most resilient children I have ever ever seen in my life um, to go through the things that they go through and still come to school the next day um, or even that morning so it is important to them they just don't know sometimes how to say that and so that that's what we're here to do and for you to show them how it is important to you as a community member and as a, a supporter of the school for them to succeed, I, I mean, I just think that the more that they see, the more they start to believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, this even helped me as an administrator as much as you all have helped us. 
to see that there are other people out there and they're behind this fight and they're behind this effort, um, it's been good for me. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for coming out. Thank you very much. And what is a truly loaded question? What does it take to change the world? Well, maybe make it simpler. What does it take to change one person's life? Courage. I wish it didn't. Can I be honest with you? I wish we didn't need courage. We love stories of courage, but the only reason we need courage is because there are things that are fearful or intimidating or troubled or difficult. Courage is how do you face difficult times and difficult moments. I wish we didn't need it. We need it because the world requires it. There is a teaching in, around Christianity, which I totally disagree with. And it essentially would say this, that the, you know, God provides difficult things in our lives so we can learn courage. Really? One of my favorite authors, this was during my Russian period, you know, Fyodor Dostoevsky, in the book, The Brothers Karamazov, they have two brothers, and they're basically arguing about God, and and one of them, I'm paraphrasing loosely, one of them essentially says, well, the reason why they're suffering in the world is so we can learn to be kind. And the brother says, really loosely paraphrasing, seriously, that's the argument you want to go with. Are you sure? That's the one you're sticking with. Tell that to the people who are suffering. You're getting to learn to be kind. We tell ourselves nonsense. Spiritualized, all prettied up nonsense. We pat ourselves in the back that we've learned to be kind. It's the flip. We need courage because the world is difficult. Jesus said that. I mean, I'm not making this up. I'm not loosely paraphrasing. I quote, in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And I think when he says that, really, I was hoping it would be phrased differently. In this world, you'll have smooth sailing. Would that be so hard? Really? In this world, life will go great. Like the old Peanuts cartoon, I'll go from one mountaintop to the next. No valleys. No. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Trouble, it's a troubling word. When you look at trouble, it's so varied, multifaceted. We experience trouble all the time. I have trouble with my yard. I don't know why. I'm sure there are reasons. They appear to be beyond me. I have a PhD, and yet I have trouble with my yard. The grass apparently is smarter than I am, and I cannot figure it out. I give up. I do. I give up. I'm hiring someone. It's a minor trouble. Some of our troubles are pretty big. Some of your troubles are you're wondering how you're going to pay your bills. That's troubling. Some of yours are wondering what's going to happen with your kids. 
Some of you are wondering what's going to happen to the school next year. Some of you are wondering how your marriage is going to survive. Some of you are wondering what do you do with the trouble in your soul? The unrest that just keeps stirring. And so Jesus says, in this world you'll have trouble, and you say, yeah, I'm aware of that. So why does he tell us that? It seems so obvious. In this world, you'll have trouble. Because we're going to need something to deal with a world full of trouble. He says, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. Have courage. You need the ability to face the troubles in your life. To look them in the eyes when your knees are shaking to not walk away. Because here's the problem. When trouble comes, what we'd like to do, and and I'll just speak for myself. If I can do this, if I can get away with this, if I get trouble, if I can ignore it, let's just do that. Can I just push that to the side? my child will probably be fine. I'll probably get a job. If I can just push it aside, ignore it. Because somewhere, somewhere deep down, we thought life was going to just go well all the time. Nothing in experience has proven that out, but we thought that would be the case. And we're shocked when things go bad. And then things go bad and we say things like, God, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do wrong? Life didn't go perfectly. And he's like, wasn't I clear? In this world, you'll have trouble. It is not your fault. Some of you look at your life. You are 12, 13, 14, 15, 18, 22, and you look at your life and you think, I have trouble, and I'm not sure I brought any of this on myself. I am not the stupid girl. And you probably didn't bring any of it on yourself. we live under the illusion that life will be without trouble, we will be sadly disappointed and we will lack the resources to know what in the world to do with it. And so Jesus said, you're going to have to have courage. You're going to have to live nobly if you're going to face the troubles of your life. And the real question is, it's all fine to say we need courage. Great. How are we going to get it? See, because courage in movies looks really easy. I'm going to tell you, this is a story of courage that has uh, riveted me. And it's, it's, out of a, it's out of World War II history. I mean, I don't even like war history. But this is, a, this is an incredible story that gives this image of what it would actually look like to have courage in the midst of an incredibly difficult situation. And this is the story. It is... It's D-Day. You know, D-Day is when the Americans, the British, and the Canadians, really the Canadians, who would have thought, invaded Europe. There's nothing wrong with being Canadian. I just never envisioned Canadians invading anyone. However, there they were. Americans, Brits, and the Canadians were invading Europe to liberate France. I'm not going to say anything about France. To liberate France and the rest of Europe. And so it's the night before the D-Day invasion, and they have two and a half million soldiers about to attack. That's a lot. Two and a half million, and they're trying to keep it secret. It's a secret invasion of two and a half million people. They've been planning it for two years. 
And then somebody comes to Dwight Eisenhower, who's in charge, and they say, weather's really bad. I think we're going to have to cancel. And he's thinking, two years, two and a half million men, it's a secret. We're not going to be able to cancel and put this off for another month, which is what it would have required. And so then they look at him and say, it's your decision. He spends hours asking people what he should do. Well, you know, what's on, what's, what's on the line here? Two and a half million people's lives and the fate of the Western world. And so at the end of a long evening, he looks at his commanders and he says, we're going. Got to go. We may fail here, but we're going to have to go. He swallows hard. He takes out a piece of paper and he writes this on it. He dates it and says, our landings have failed to achieve success and I've withdrawn the troops. The Navy, the air, and the ground forces did all that bravery and devotion to duty could do. If there is any fault, it is mine and mine alone. Dwight Eisenhower. Seriously, if I had had hair, the hair on the back of my neck goes up every time when I think of that. A moment of incredible courage. But you know what? The only reason he needed courage is because there was trouble in the world. We see this incredible moment of nobility, but only because there was trouble in the world. It wasn't as if Dwight Eisenhower was looking for opportunities to develop character. It was a real situation. Your real situations are going to require courage. Where are you going to get it? Well, I'm going to turn to 1 John in this series called Rocket Surgery, which is a shorthand for, it's not that hard. And looking at what 1 John teaches us about how God calls us to live, and I want to read to you a passage toward the end where Jesus tells us where we're going to get courage to face the actual issues of our life. And I'm in chapter 5, verse 3. This is love for God, to obey His commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John says that our troubles are not destined to defeat us, they don't get to win. Your life is not fatalistic. The troubles you face are not supposed to win. Actually, I need to rephrase that. In Christ, your troubles are not destined to defeat you. But Christianity promises that there is something that happens, something that God can give us that allows us to live in a world where we have trouble and still find victory. What is that? It's not this. It's not that what God says is that, okay, the world's really bad, and what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to put on your bulletin board, we have victory in Jesus, and then everything's going to go really well after that. In this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. 
Something happens through what Jesus did on earth and what he transfers to us that allows us to live powerfully in the midst of the actual struggles and troubles of our life. You see, on the surface, for Jesus to say, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, isn't all that helpful. It would be like me saying, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart because I'm doing fine. That's not that great. There's a connection point that John makes. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. Why? Do we suddenly become strong, powerful, and brilliant? No. We participate in the victory that Jesus Christ won. On a day in real space and time in history, the Son of God came to earth. In a real moment that required courage, he allowed himself to be taken to a cross and put to death. On that cross, in a moment of greater courage, he allowed the sin of the world, which is simply all that we have done that has resisted and pushed God away. He allowed that all to rest upon him and for him to bear it all. In real space and time, he died. He died to end the two greatest things we struggle with, sin and death. He died to change the trajectory of your life completely. This is important. He didn't die to make your life 30% better. He didn't die to clean up your act a little bit. He, he died to entirely change the trajectory. It's what I love about the book of 1 John. None of it's halfway. He's, he's like this. He's like, you either got light or you got dark. Pick your pick. One or the other. You either got defeat or you got victory. See, we like to live in the mush, right there in the middle, in the gray stuff. We're like, well, you know, a little of that. We like the ambiguous. John's not so big in the ambiguous. Victory, defeat, what do you want? Because Jesus Christ died to put to death sin and death, period. And then he said, come and participate in the life that I have won for you. The church. Do you understand how different it is from any other way to look at religion? Any other way of looking at religion would essentially say this. God's out there. He's got some great wisdom for your life. Buy into some of it. Pick and choose. And you can see your life improve some. What Christianity says is, okay, look. If you are not in a relationship with God, it's not going to work. Period. You were made for a relationship with God. If you live apart from that, you will not experience the life you were meant to. And he says, if you want it, I will change your trajectory entirely so that you become somebody who's connected with God now and forever, and so that defeat is not in your future. That hope stands before you that can't be shaken. So that when struggles come, and sometimes they are weighty. You know, I, 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 I hate when I quote myself, but I said this, and it really struck me a while back, is that we live life in the middle of the story, and we so often forget that. We're in the middle of the story. I, I don't like being in the middle of the story. Can I be honest, be honest with you? When I'm reading a book and I'm in the middle of the novel, I don't want to be that person. Because it's never going well in the middle of the novel. You know, that's the point where all the stuff, you know, they got the protagonist and the antagonist and everybody's upset and it looks like, ah, this is going to go terrible. But we got a book 
and so we know it's not yet finished. And we know it's going to end up, unless it's a postmodern novel, it's going to end up really good, right? I don't like being on page 82. Because the problem is when I'm on page 82 in my own life, I actually think that's the end. You know what I mean. You're dealing with stuff and you think, this is it. This is where my so this is it. This is where my life, this is the trajectory of my life. Where I am now defines me. What Christ promised is this, not to take away every struggle of your life, but to change where it was going. I, 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 I now I'll quote Ms. Ms. Robinson, because I thought that was, was brilliant. And she said, it, it's, it's, it's not about where you are today. It's about where you're going to be. We so often forget that. Our struggles can seem so daunting. The bigger they are, like my grass isn't that big a struggle. The bigger the struggle is, the bigger the trouble is, the more it feels like it has crushed us, and that's it. And then there's sort of vague Christian teaching that teaches you God will wipe away all your struggles. And then that doesn't happen, and then we feel defeated. What God says is this, this is not the end of the story. You are not defined by this moment. You are not defined by your struggles. You are not defined by your failures. You are not defined by what anybody says about you. You are defined by the love of God which will not relent until it raises you up in beauty and in glory. And then he says, that's where I'm taking you. And right now you need courage. Because if you don't have courage, you'll not keep going that direction. You won't. You'll give up. You're going to have to have courage. Take courage in who I am and where I'm going to lead you to. That's where your heart needs to be. I honestly, I mean, I have a great deal of admiration for the teachers and the leadership of Bishop Cross. I mean, when, when Christian McKeever said that about, you know, we walk in on a day and realize we may have gone five step backwards. I mean, can you imagine the gut check that is? I'll weigh in again. And, y and yet they do it. I mean, really, I admire anybody who works for junior high kids, but that's a whole other issue. <laughs> but they weigh in. Do you, do you not know how much courage that takes? I, I teach public speaking. I've told my students the most fearful group of people to teach junior high, without question. Y'all, you're easy. Junior high, that's tough. They walk into junior high kids who metaphorically are like this. I'm going to ask you, you to start walking in there too. See, one of the things that Bishop Saw has asked is they have asked men, women have already done it, and they're always ahead of us, they have asked men to be mentors to junior high kids. Let me just be up front with you. Most of them are not interested in you being there. They're junior high kids. You're going to walk in, hey, I'd like to mentor you. <laughs> Don't start with that. 
little tip for you. You're going to have to walk into that school and sit down with a kid who does not want to talk to you. Who likely doesn't believe you have anything to offer them. Who doesn't think you'll come back the next day. That will take courage. They need mentors. They need people who are willing to go over there and sit down with the kid who doesn't want to speak with them. And then go back the next week. Because I promise you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to sign up for this later. And if you do, if you come to the meeting, that's one. If you go to meet with the child one time, that's the other. The second time you get ready to go to meet with that kid, you're going to come up with a thousand reasons not to do it, which have nothing to do with courage. How do you change the world? How do you change one person's life? Courage. You're going to have to weigh in. You're going to have to go with knees knocking and trembling and wade into people's actual lives. Can't be done from a distance. Can't be done with a program. It's done when you wade in. We partner with Bishop Spa because they've let us. Because for whatever reason, God gave us a vision that the city would rejoice. And apparently, with some sense of humor, decided he wanted to use us to be part of that. And tapped us on the shoulder and said, we thought we got this building just because it was, you know, cheaper than being uptown. And then discovered, no, we got this building because we're supposed to be here. And now it's going to take courage. Some of you today, I got to drop back, because some of you today don't need courage to go meet with the kid at Bishop's Bar. Some of you need courage to face your life. I, I know that. I mean, I know that some of the troubles y'all face right now feel absolutely daunting. I, I hope you can hear this from me. God does not intend that struggle to end up short-circuiting your life or defining it. He has hope and beauty for, for you because he created you in his image and he created you for himself. And glory and beauty is the designed state of humanity. It may take courage for you today to walk up to one of us and ask us for help. It may take courage for you to walk back to the prayer room later and ask somebody to pray for you. It may take courage for you to bow before God and to ask Him to come into your life. That's that small step, the connection between your need and the power and presence of God in your life. But for our community as a whole, I'm, I'm challenging us. For this to be our time, where we believe that God can actually use us. And every time we hear that voice that says, not this time, not this day, not this way, not this method, we push that aside and we realize it's about us taking heart. He promises he will give us power to change the world. 
question is, will we step into it? Today's the day to do that. Let's pray. Lord, I pray by the power of your spirit, you would wipe away the rationalizations that right now, almost immediately are bombarding us. That that can't be true about me. That maybe struggles are not successful with other people. But not me. I pray you would crush that thought. I pray for the waywardness of our minds that tend to want to skitter away quickly to almost any other concept other than facing the reality of our life and asking you for your presence and having the courage to step into what you have for us. I pray that you would push that all away and I pray that we would have this crystal clear moment where we know with the certainty that can't be shaken that you are our God who will simply not relent until you pour yourself into our lives and make us alive and whole and well and then move us out into the midst of the world such that people like us individuals' lives change. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come in power and in beauty today. Make us alive and make us free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we move into the back part of our service, this is our time to respond.